Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Book of Sean, people. Thank you for tuning in. Got an amazing show for you tonight. You know, over the course of of the life of this show, we've talked to a lot of people. I can't even remember the number of guests that I've talked to. And we've never quite had an opportunity to check back in with some of them. I always say to people, if you watch the show, come back and see me. Come back and see me. And then we never have them come back and see me. But tonight we're changing that, people. One of our favorite persons, one of our favorite guests is back tonight. Um, when he was here the last time, his, the first time he was here, he was promoting a book. <laughs> the second time he was here, he was dealing with life. Come on, because you can be gifted and write books and still have to deal with life. And he's back tonight to fill us in on what's been going on since the last time he was here. A lot's been going on, I'm sure. So sit down, buckle up, get you something to drink and some pie, and welcome to the show tonight, one of my favorite people, Patrick Riley. (laughs) Hey, Dr. Sean. I mean, what an intro and what a way to come back in. Thank you for checking back in with me. Listen, I um I think I think my um executive producer Trina Daly had the idea of us following up with some guests, right, in the next couple of weeks. And when she explained it to me, I was like, this is a great idea. Let's do it. And you were the first person that the whole team decided we wanted to follow up with because your story was so indelible, so heart-wrenching the last time you were here. So do me a favor, level set for everybody. For those who may have missed that show, the last time you were here, you were dealing with life and how life had changed during the pandemic. Tell everybody what happened. Well, I spent a big chunk of pandemic socially isolated, sort of, um, you know, having to pivot to everything that went on with everybody. You know, life stopped in many ways. And then maybe one year into that two-year pandemic, my home burned down to the ground. My uh, apartment that I lived in, I woke up to uh, an electric fire in the kitchen, and I attempted to battle those flames before I then had to run, not walk, out of my place because um, the flames were taken over. And uh, they took over my whole place. It uh, is completely unlivable, and um, I was blessed to be taken in by my neighbor, who's my best friend since seventh grade, Ernest. And Mm. so I have been on his couch um, for about a year now. And um, talking to you was really about processing what had been such a traumatic um, moment for me. I found that I was kind of paralyzed to to rebuild. Mm. And so you really helped kind of get my emotional head in the game. You Help hold me on, hold on, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, because we're, we're going to get to that. But but because yes. I, I, I just want to slow down just a little bit so that people get a sense of, because the last time you were here, one of, the, one of the things that really touched my heart about you was when you said to all of us that there was an element of shame involved in this season of your life, being in this position. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Well, you know, so much in my life up to the pandemic had sort of gone on automatic pilot, automatic success. You know, I was the life of the party, uh, you know, a type A personality who was always sort of in the lead of, in the steering wheel of my life, you know, as an entertainment producer, as a 
personality, as a writer, as a social bon vivant, if you will. And um, all of that pretty much shut down. And after the fire, it shut down even more because I felt sort of, uh, I became a different person, um, a person who um, anxiety ruled. Mm. Um, depression seemed to take over my spirit in a way where I just couldn't quite regroup with the reality that what had happened to me could have happened to anybody. Mm. But the fact that it happened to me in my ego really just kind of got me stuck for uh, a, a, a minute there. And um, it really took uh, talking to you and beginning to talk to the loved ones in my life about what was really going on for me to kind of break through to being able to have a, a, a bit of a progress report for you. Yeah, no, I listen, I, um, I remember that conversation. Um, and I don't remember everybody. I'm just gonna be honest. You know, we do so many shows, but I remember that show and I remember the heart and the passion and the pain that you brought with you the last time you were here. And I remember on that show, you telling us some of the things that you learned about yourself in the valley, because it's easy to learn things about yourself on the mountaintop, but he who can learn in the valley will not be in the valley long. Tell me what you learned about yourself when you were sitting on your friend's couch with your house burned down what lessons about you came to fore? You know, I realized that I didn't always have to be the life of the party to get the love and the attention and the support from my people. Come on. Um, that, come on. That's good, Patrick. Keep going. <laughs> at, at, at my lowest, I know that uh, I am loved and I am appreciated and I am supported. And it was me sort of, you helped me get to that and helped me really make it an intention to thank the people in my life. And so beyond who I thanked on that episode, I went on down home to Georgia to thank my dad, my 88-year-old dad in person for his support and his love. And I thanked his wife, Diana, and I got to thank my sister and her husband, all of whom these people in Atlanta, in Savannah, all over, people really came through for me in a way that I uh, was ashamed to sort of um, amplify and celebrate, but it really required that I let them know how appreciative I was of them in this moment. And it was an embarrassing moment. It still sometimes is an embarrassing moment for me. Mm -hmm. But I, I now know that um, I am more than the mask that I used to bring out uh, to the party. I really am kind of made up of the flaws and the and, and the struggles that sometimes we are all left to manage. And yeah. I am still managing it, but knowing it, knowing that I have support. And, and you steered me there because it was going to be very easy for me to feel like I was on an island alone. Yeah. And that's how I felt. But I, I am not alone. And I'm very clear about that. I remember one of the aha moments that we had the last time you were here was that very thing. You learning that people will love you when you can't perform and you can't deliver, the people who love you will still love you. Now, those conversations that you had, were, were those conversations a direct result of you having been on the show? They, they were a direct result. I mean, you really helped me sort of kind of understand that, you know, when life gives us something that doesn't feel fair, mm. we still have to sort of take it upon ourselves to push through and navigate through and 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 one of the ways to do that is being authentic it's not necessarily in keeping the facade it really isn't mm -hmm. about sort of it's about having that uncomfortable conversation and uh i've been able to do that in a way that um kind of freed me to also let the fear piece go and I had to just get back out there. I had to get back to work. Um, I, I, I'm now, um, you know, I mentioned being the life of the party. One of the things I do is I host a, a big uh, all-star karaoke event um, in Harlem. And uh, because of COVID, I had been afraid to kind of revisit something so social. But mm. I really got my head back in the game. We, we, we do protocols. We, you know, we have mic condoms and all the things that you need to stay safe. But I knew that it was important for me to get back into the world. Mike, sort of Mike condoms. <laughs> well, best, you know, we have to still protect ourselves. The still, there's I've still a pandemic going on out there. You know? and, and it's funny that I can sort of still be that, 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 that fearful person that I had become because mm -hmm. of COVID. 
but I'm now sort of not letting that fear stop me from engaging. Which brings, hold on, which brings me to this question. I'm glad you said that because how are you adjusting to the new normal? And I'm not, I'm not just talking about a list of things that you're doing emotionally, spiritually, how are you adjusting? You know, in one way, I think I am uh, propping myself up to get things done. You know, you know, the to-dos are definitely, you know, a list. But one of the things that I am uh, having to adapt to, it, or maybe it's something that I'm having a problem with, is really now that I have begun to lean on my friends, is I feel that there's a threshold for how much longer I can lean. Because, you know, I'm propped up now. I'm kind of making progress with the rebuild. I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm leaving the house for work, you know, which I had not done for a long time. And all of those things represent productivity, but they also sort of fool people into thinking that maybe I'm all back emotionally. Mm. And as life kind of gets back into the new normal, I'm not emotionally all there. Do you know? So everybody kind of thinks Patrick's back, but Patrick is back, but he's still not quite well, you know all what? there. You know what? Still... Hold, hold on, Patrick, because this gives me an opportunity um, not just to check in, but to do some work. So here's, here's my advice for that. I would, I would gather, maybe not as a group or maybe as a group, I would gather the people about whom you're concerned. You may be taxing the limits and fill them in on where you are in the emotional story. And I would ask them for more time, for more patience. Don't imply it. Don't don't assume it. Ask for it, and 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 then give people an opportunity if they have problems with it to say it and to say you will not be punished for your honesty. I just wanted to say it to you to ask you for it and to see how you would respond because that puts it on the table, right? And everybody now has come to a public agreement about how we can handle the next six months or the next nine months, however long, much time rather you need. So when I say that, how do you feel about that? Does that work for you? It, it puts a butterfly in my belly because I have been nervous to put it on the table, but hearing you sort of advise it with that perspective gives me homework and it's homework I'm so willing to do because it is you who got me up and propped up about six months ago. So yeah, I'm going to take that advice seriously. Yeah. I mean, it's what I would do. I've, I've been in your situation where I didn't have anywhere to stay and I was staying in basements and back rooms and couches. And one of the things I didn't do is the advice I'm giving you. <laughs> I didn't Got do it. it. And because I didn't do it, people's patience ran out and they get, you know what I'm saying? And what I learned yes. from that is, no, 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 don't assume because we care about each other that there's not a limit. People will, will break through their limits if they are given the information that they need to be courageous on your behalf. And what you're showing me is the same ownership that I have begun to take as it relates to my rebuild, as it relates to getting back into the fray of my professional work. I have to sort of take that dedicated time and muscle with my loved ones as well because 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 we are also on a journey yeah, so yeah I, I got it I, yeah. like ding 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 good. i got it good, yes good it's always better when you ask for what you need now let's talk about this house because we put up a photo um um what's going on with the rebuild because remember that the house it burned it was completely unlivable right unlivable and still, but we are now room by room, brick by brick, getting the place back. Um, I'm now working on the bathroom. I just came back from uh, <laughs> the, the the place. It could be a Lowe's or a Home Depot, but I came back from the place getting a water heater that is going to now make the bathroom functional. And then we'll move on to the bedroom. We'll move on to the kitchen. We'll get the trimming done. And maybe inside two to three months, I will be returning home. It's still an uphill wow. battle on the funding. No, stop yeah. talking. We got to celebrate. Yes, yes let's man. celebrate it. I was let's just celebrate about to, it. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So hold on. How, how long have you been out? I've been out a year and two months, a year and two months. And I'd say we really just got going with the rebuild in September, which was, you know, right before you and I, right after you and I spoke, I got serious about kind of 
taking uh, this massive undertaking beat by beat, hurdle by hurdle. I um, took ownership of the contractor that I wanted to work with versus who the co-op wanted me to work with. And I am now sort of running the ship. I think I might go into HGTV after I'm done with this project Listen, because I, my head's in the game in a whole new way. I, I can't take credit for all of this legitimately, but I'm going to try. <laughs> because you, you, Please take some of it. Please take some of it because it really is the idea that you and I have taken that time back in September and even now to just unpack some things is role modeling what I think most of us and all of us should be doing in our personal lives. Mm. So I'm I'm happy to role model it for for the Fox Soul folks. But but let what we're doing is definitely the kind of stuff that is helping me move forward. It's it's not uh, any of those other things that we think are having us fool ourselves into thinking we're okay. It's really the real talk. And so you can take some of it, please, please. Listen, I got to take a break. But everybody, listen to this. The last time Patrick was here, I mean, he was broken. His spirit just just limping, trying to make it. Survival was his default setting. And tonight he returns with stories of having difficult and profound conversations with loved ones. He's taken control. He's damn near become a contractor. He's rebuilding his home. He's going to be back in his home prayerfully. And we're all praying tonight in two or three months. I'm telling you, this he's, is what... And and he's a, he's a fundraiser, too. He's raising money like no Listen, other. Listen, because... this is what happens when people grab the wheel. And that's what we try to do on this show. Let's take a break. I got more to ask Patrick. Um, I got some fun stuff I want to do with him. Because, you know, let's have a little fun, too. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. There's no doubt that we are a resilient people. And um, Patrick Riley is an example of a resilient person. Um, and he's here tonight, back to give us an update on how far he's come and how much he's done in the intervening time since the last time he was here. Patrick, let me ask you this question. When you look at where you are now tonight, what are some of the things about you that you're most proud of after coming through everything that you've been through, what about you makes you smile? You know, I think I feel like I am my father's child. You know, my father has always been, uh, you know, he's a retired chief master sergeant from the Air Force. He traveled, he and his family all over the globe. I'm born in Japan, a brother born in Germany, sister born in Savannah. And I just have always tried to sort of live my life buttoned up, mm. eyes dotted, T's crossed. And this tragedy of of losing my home and sort of being caught in a in a moment of hopelessness um, as it related to the pandemic and being socially isolated, all that stuff, uh, it made me kind of lose sight of my power, not knowing that it was always in me, not to sound like woo-woo-woo or, or Dorothy from The Wiz, but but having kind of gone through this difficult time, it just makes me know firmly mm. I'm my dad's kid. You know, I'm not taking uh, the no's that have been brought my way uh, as the final answer. I am um, finding solutions where I thought there were none. And, um, and maybe if there's an extra thing that I'm doing beyond what my dad from Jim Crow Savannah might have done is I'm really not trying to lose sight of the me in the situation. And so when I talk to you about how I can connect better to my loved ones, it's kind of knowing that I'm maybe a 2.0 version of my dad because I really am interested in being as um, buttoned up about my emotional resolve with my friends and with my loved ones as I am those to-dos that I have to do to get my life back, you know, to get my home back. And so I think um, emotional resilience is what I have found out about myself and that I have kind of um, what it takes based on the training, based on how I was raised mm. to survive this as well. Yeah, and th all of that is without question something to be immensely proud of. This question is a little, it's a little nuanced, textured. It's, it's, it's I'll ask it. 
Looking back on, you know, the last time you were here and that whole season, what are some of the thoughts that came into your mind in that season that surprises you that you even thought them? Well, that um, I wouldn't figure this out, that, um, mm. that, that I wasn't supported. Um, I think I fooled myself into thinking that, um, you know, maybe the world would be better without me. You know, that sounds mm. kind of deep and intense, but the, the, the feelings I've had around being displaced and no matter the comfort, the feelings I had of, around not having a roof over my head, even though technically I wasn't homeless, the feelings I had about the uphill funding battle for figuring out how to crunch these numbers and make it all work because you can only work one booking at a time. I work five bookings at a time and it's still not enough. But looking at all of that, um, I really felt like uh, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. And here six months later, I, I, I firmly see the light. I'm not all there. I'm not mm -hmm. all patched up. I'm still healing. But but different than hopelessness, I feel hopeful. So mm. I'm, as, as we used to say in the church, I'm coming up on the rough side of mm. the mountain, if mm. you will. And aren't you glad you didn't give in to those feelings? I am thrilled I didn't because I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to know that I could live long enough to, to see and experience maybe some of that love that I wasn't so sure was there, but it has continued to demonstrate itself through my loved ones, through my friends, through my family. Um, I'm happy I stayed around long enough to um, validate what was going on anyway, but I still was so inconsolable at a point in this journey that I just couldn't see it. And I'm now, because of the way you kind of re-steered me, I'm now able to see it. I'm now able to see it and I'm able to celebrate it. Mm. And that, that, those two things are very different and very important. It's one thing to see it, it's another thing to celebrate it, and it's an entirely different matter to do, to do both. And I'm, I'm so glad you do that. Here's what I know. I know that self-love is a practice, not a feeling. It's not. People think that self-love is a feeling. Most of the time when, when it becomes a feeling, that's narcissism. <laughs> it's a practice. It's what you do uh, in succession. It's what you do every day or every week. What are some of the things that you do now to take care of yourself and to put yourself first so that you maintain this good posture? Well, I, I take a moment, even though I am sleeping on a best friend's couch, I take a moment in the morning before I wake up to um, be in thought. Some might call it meditation or prayer, but I really, in a way that I had never really done um, in the earlier part of this drama, I have now begun to sort of recenter myself to um, to making the day a great day before the day begins. And I think what I had been doing before we spoke before was waking up to the misery that the day would eventually become. And mm -hmm. that is what those days would, you know, that's how those days were shaping up. So much so that I was paralyzed to even take one, put one foot in front of the other to begin the work of rebuilding. Now I know that I'm taking this gargantuan situation and I am taking it just one step at a time. And with each of those steps, what I do at the end of the day is I write down what the day entailed. It's not so much a gratitude journal, but it's really just kind of an accountability document. And uh, so, that's, so, so that's different now because I'm really kind of paying attention to the details of my recovery, which include what we're talking about now, but it includes all the moving parts of the rebuild and the moving parts of me now taking work outside of the house and, and, and all that that entails to make sure I can still feel centered about being out, um, you know, inside what is still a triple demic. And yeah. so all of that I, um, I have begun to do um, as a measure of self-care. Um, it's that meditation in the morning and it is the kind of listing of accomplishments at the end of the day to just say that, you know, so I'm scratching them off and, and, and then reshaping the list for tomorrow, you know. Finish this sentence for me. I'm going to give you a couple of these. So finish these sentence, sentences rather for me. All right. I am not afraid to. I am not afraid 
to start again. <laughs> Almost threw my shoe <laughs> at that screen. Finish your sentence for me. I know that I can. I know that I can make anything happen that I want to make happen with patience, with intention, and with positivity. All right. We do a little something around here called Which Would You Rather Have? And I want to do that with you right now. Which would you rather have? Play the bumper, Hiley. That bumper needs some music. We got to have some music to that. All right. You ready? Well, there was so, a little, there was a wish effect. There was a swish effect. But a yes. little bit, but it, it needs a little more. All right. So I'm going to give you options. I'm going to let pick one and then I might ask you to elaborate. So which would you rather have, peace of mind or a lot of attention? Peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Which would you rather have, security or adventure? I'd rather have adventure. Yes. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say that. When, when I wrote that, I said he might say security. And if he says security, I'm going to tell him he should have said adventure. Yes, Patrick. I'm, sh I'm shaping security. I'm rebuilding. Yes, yes, yes. But I'm bored. I want adventure again. And I, you know, my my vision is that I will uh, set my security up so that I can begin to. If you were here, adventure. I would hug you. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Which would you rather have? Someone who wants you or someone who needs you? I want someone who wants me. Tell me why. I have yes. Well, you know, want is um, you, well. You know, if, when you say someone who needs you, there's the vision of codependence and sort of something that someone that may not be all whole. No, stop, I, Patrick. I'm going to help you. You know why? You, here's the thing. You should simply say this because I want to be wanted. No. Well, yeah, and and that is that's the bottom line. Yes, I want to be wanted. There yes. you go. There you go. We got to <laughs> we got to cut across the field. All right. Which would you rather have? A brand new wardrobe or good credit? Good credit. Good credit. Really? Yeah. Because <laughs> your face. Because you know, I I've 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 done good wardrobes. I've done bad wardrobes. I've made bad wardrobes work. So I think <laughs> I can handle I can handle all of that. But good credit will sort of um yet again set the foundation for me to then maybe buy some more clothes, you know, but I think the good credit would be the, the foundational piece for me. Patrick's like, I can do the wardrobe. I'm not worried about that. <laughs> All right. This is a hard one. Which would you rather have to spend an entire day with Diana Ross or Martin Luther King? Well, of course, I've got to be with Diana because she's oh! here with us. You, and she you, is my favorite you, diva. You you would choose Diana Ross over Martin Luther King? Then over Martin Luther King. I promise you I'll ask Diana a few questions about the time she spent with him. All right, I got a, <laughs> I got a couple more for you. Which would you rather have, a house in the Hamptons or a high-rise condo on Miami Beach? I think I'd want the high-rise Miami Beach. Really? I thought you were going to say the Hamptons. Why, why Miami Beach? I, I've, I've been kind of just... I, something's been calling me to to Miami, not so much to move, but to yet again experience. I've been many times, but I haven't been in a minute. And so Miami is calling me in some way where if you ask me this question, I want the high rise Miami Beach. See, I, I'm picking up a, a pattern here. You are ready to stretch out. You're ready to go. You're ready for more. Um, here's my last one. Which would you rather have, the person you are now or the person you used to be? person I am now. Mm. Mm. Tell me why, quickly. Well, I, 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 I'm digging myself. Um, I'm feeling my resilience. I'm feeling my, um, my ability to kind of conquer uh, a, a low that I never thought I would have to conquer. But I'm digging the the results, and I and, I, and I'm pleased that I pushed through a difficult nook emotionally mm -hmm. to find myself kind of um, 
job well done, Patrick. Yeah. You know, I can say that. And I couldn't I couldn't say that before, but I I I'm proud of me. Yeah. Listen, um, we got we gotta wrap it up, but I'm proud of you too. And I'm happy for you, and I believe great and amazing things are gonna happen for you in your life. And I leave you with this blessing that the God of your father and the God of your great grandfather would make you a thousand times greater than what you are and that he would bless you as he's promised to do. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Listen, man. Listen. That's a word. That's, that's a word. That's a word. <laughs> that's a word. Thank you, Patrick. I appreciate you. Keep going, man. And everybody, I'll be right back with an aha moment. I learned some things from Patrick, as I always do. I'm going to share them with you when we come back right after this. Welcome back, everybody. Um, learned a lot from Patrick, not just tonight, but from the amalgamation of all of his times here. I want to share some of that with you. Let's have an aha moment together. You know, I'm so happy for him. Can we start there? Like, I'm so happy for where he is in life right now. And I'm so happy that he didn't give up, that he didn't turn around, that he didn't throw in the towel. Well, I'm actually happy that he probably did throw in the towel, but God threw it back. Because <laughs> sometimes we resign and God won't accept our resignation. And I think that's what happened with Patrick, because last time he was here, he was in a terrible place in a horrible way. And he appears tonight to be heading in the right direction, rebuilding himself, proud of himself, patting himself on the back and not waiting for other people to do it for him and not ashamed of the truth. Because the truth of the matter is we are where we are and we're dealing with the things that we deal with and there's nothing to be ashamed of. I'm happy that he's passed all of that. And I'm most excited about the fact he appears, if you listen to what he was saying in our little game, he's ready to travel, to go, to experience, to have, to claim, all of that. It's a very powerful moment. And it's not just a powerful moment for him, it's a powerful moment for all of us. Because life begins at the moment you make a decision to start living. Life begins on the day, at the hour, in the second, you decide that death and stagnation is, are not options for you. The moment you decide, I'm going to get up and do it, whether I have the money to do it or the courage to do it or the support to do it, but I'm determined not to spend the rest of my life like this. When you get there, that's when you start living. Life doesn't start when you get money in your bank account. Life doesn't start when you get a lot of friends or somebody cute on your arm. Life doesn't start when you get a relationship. It starts when you believe that you deserve to live. And you refuse to let anybody in your space, in your life, in your past, or your future convince you otherwise. That's when you're living. And you can be living with no money in your pocket, in a one-bedroom apartment or a studio, riding on a bus, living single, eating out of cans every night. But you're living. Yeah. That's what I learned from Patrick. You got to make a choice to live because it doesn't just happen on its own. <laughs> Lord have mercy. All right, let's do some Ask Dr. Sean. Take a look at this video somebody sent to me. Hey, Dr. Sean. My name is Asia Lenore. I am from Dallas, Texas. And I have recently started to dive back into the dating pool after a four-year relationship. Um, the issue that I'm facing is the guy that I'm currently dating is financially unstable. So my question would be, should I break up with him due to that reason and move forward with someone else? Or should I try to stick it out and see if his finances improve and he learn how to manage his money and budget his money the proper way? Well, with all due loving respect, you're dating his heart, his character, his personality, not his bank account and not his money. You see, he can learn to be a better financial person, a better financial manager. And he can learn that. That's a skill. That's not 
necessarily a gift that you're born with. See, but what he can't learn necessarily is how to be a good, decent, kind, compassionate, giving, loving, intimate person. And if he's got all that, and the thing he doesn't have is good financial stewardship, then walking away from that is like walking away from almost everything you need because it's not everything you asked for. See, my advice to you is don't mix your money. Don't allow him to make financial decisions for you. Don't rush to get married. Don't rush to live together until he learns some lessons about how to run a household and keep a household. Because if, remember, he had a past before he met you. You don't know what that past is and how money was treated in his house growing up. So don't mix your money. Don't let him manage your money. Don't let him touch your money, right? But see if this person who is a good person otherwise can manifest some goodness in this area too. And what do you lose? What do you lose? You leave him, you run to somebody else, and they are better financial managers. They manage their money better. They have more money. But do they have more heart? Do they have more character? Do they have more decency? I just don't understand people who just think that money is the thing that makes a relationship work. It doesn't. And it doesn't make a person good and it doesn't make them bad. Money is not a reason, a sufficient reason to decide whether or not you want to connect with somebody. It isn't. I don't care what anybody says. It's not. Many other things have to be factored into that that decision to stand with someone and love them anyway. And sure, it works better when the person you're loving can manage a dollar. But if they can't, if they can't, it doesn't mean that they won't learn how to do it eventually. And it doesn't mean it's not your job to help empower them how to learn that lesson. And you get to decide what you want to do, it's your life. But I'm just saying, you got 80% of what I want, and 20% of what I can't stand, it's not a bad deal. Keep your money away from them, though. <laughs> we'll be right back with more Ask Dr. Sean right after this. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. So someone emailed me this question. I received an email from a woman who claims to be my sister. He claims my father kept her a secret, but because he passed away last year, she wants to meet me in hopes that we can work towards a friendship. I have no desire to meet her. Is it wrong to ignore her email? Ah, oh, well, listen, I think the first thing that I want to say to you is, why are you punishing your sister for what your father did? Why are you directing the anger you should have towards him, towards someone who is as much a victim of what he did as you are. Now, you know, you get to decide if you want to meet somebody or not, that's within your purview, but your reasons for making that decision should be rooted in something noble, something big, not something small and petty, full of resentment, because this woman has done nothing to you. Nothing, nothing. She didn't ask to come into the world. She didn't ask to be kept a secret. And now she's trying to connect the, the disparate parts of herself so that she can have some sense of who she is in this great, big, mean world, having discovered that she has you. You can understand the natural inclination to want to be connected to someone who has the same point of origin as you have. So you can't begrudge her for wanting the connection. I think what you have to do is to decide whether or not you're going to be bigger than the circumstances that put the two of you in this situation. I think you've got to decide whether or not you want to allow yourself a chance to meet someone and to get to know someone who's your family. Because like it or not, she's family. This is your father's daughter. This is your father's daughter. I'm going to say it again. This is your father's daughter. She's as much your father's daughter as you are. 
and acting like it didn't happen or it's not true is not going to change the truth that it is. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I think you should meet her. I think you should welcome the truth in like, much like you do the sunlight. Let it do its work on you. And then maybe the two of you can trade notes about the father neither of you really knew. All right, let's take a look at another video somebody sent me. Hi, Dr. Sean. My name is Althea from Westchester County, New York. Um, what advice would you give to a woman who's building her career, building her personal brand, but still wants to find love and have a serious relationship, but without putting her goals and dreams on hold? Uh, is that even possible in today's day and age? Well, thank you for that. And, and let me say that if you want to be in a relationship, then clearly love should be one of your goals. Right. When you talk about goals, I'm assuming you meaning you mean professional goals. But if you want to be in a relationship, love should be one of your life goals. And you should treat being in a relationship with as much energy and passion and attention as you do the other goals that you want to set for your life. You see, you asked me, is it even possible? Of course it's possible. Oprah Winfrey did it. Oprah Winfrey's a billionaire, built a network, had a top rated show for years, right? Built, built her brand, built her business, and she was in a relationship the whole time. She was dating Stedman the whole time. She found a way to do it. Barack Obama did it. Michelle Obama did it, right? Princeton, Harvard, law, firms, politics, the White House. Now they're iconic figures of black culture, and they're married and committed, and they love each other. People can do it. It's not, a, I, I can go through a whole list of people who've done it and who are doing it. It just depends on where it ranks in your list of priorities and things to do. You gotta ask yourself, do you really wanna be in a relationship? Or is it the case, as I've had on this show, where people come and they realize, oh, I'm a certain age, or oh, I have everything else. I should have a relationship too. Well, that doesn't mean you want one just because you believe that you should have one. Love is something you have to want. It's something you have to believe in. As much as you believe in making money and building your business and your brand, you've got to believe that having companionship and someone who is compatible to you at the level of whatever compatibility means to you is important for the success of your life. Until you believe that a relationship is significant for who you are, then it's just something that you feel, it's something, a box you need to check. And it's never going to work because love's not a box. And it's going to cost you more than just the act of checking it. And the worst thing you could possibly do is run into a relationship because you feel that you should have one only to discover that you're not willing to put in the work. Can you have your goals and your career and build your brand and have somebody on your arm? Of course. The question is, is that what you really want? Because if you wanted it, you'd already have it. Because that which we want, we make room for. Huh? You know I'm right. All right. I think I'm out of time with this. I'm, I'm going to read this one and, and answer it on the, on the other side. Someone DM'd me, I caught my mother cheating on my dad with another man. She begged me not to tell my father and warned me of the repercussions if I did so. I love them both, but I think my dad has the right to know the truth. <laughs> what should I do? Oh, that's easy. I'm glad I took this question. You should tell your father right away. <laughs> tell your as soon as this show is over, you go tell your father what your mother is doing, okay? Because your father has a right to know that he's being cheated on. And your mama's probably going to hell because she's threatening you with repercussions. Now, I just want to say this because I promise we'll say this. When I read this question in the production room, highly said that you should blackmail your mama. <laughs> Terrible advice. Don't listen to highly. Run and tell your father. 
so that your father can make a grown man decision with information that he deserves to know. Okay? Your mother's lost her mind. That's, that's, it's just that simple. Mama needs Jesus. She needs to come to the altar, repent, and get her life together. Cheating on her husband and threatening her child. The devil is a lie. When we come back, we're going to do some here's what doesn't make sense right after this. Welcome back, everybody. Let's do some here's what doesn't make sense. A Virginia elementary school teacher is in stable condition after being shot by a six-year-old in her classroom. Abigail Warner was uh, in middle school, and she was in the, not middle school, but she was in, rather in the middle of teaching a lesson at the Rich Nick Elementary School when a six-year-old pulled out a gun and shot her. Officials say that the shooting was not an accident, it was intentional. And so this little boy, six, year, six years old, intentionally shot his teacher. And if that isn't the craziest thing that you have heard in your entire life, then I don't know what to tell you. If that ain't the craziest thing you've ever heard in your life, then I don't know what kind of life you're living. Because I got a lot of questions. How does a six-year-old get a gun? Somebody needs to answer that for me. See, somebody needs to tell me, how does a six-year-old know how to fire a gun? Somebody explain that to me. How, how does a six-year-old have that much rage in him where firing a gun at a teacher becomes a viable option for the expression of the rage that he has? I'm not even sure how you punish a six-year-old for shooting somebody. But here's what I am sure about. Somebody's let this child down. Somebody is failing this child. Somebody's not doing their job. No six-year-old should even have it in their mind where they resort to that kind of deadly violence simply because they're upset with a teacher. And let me just say this. Maybe it's not the parents who are failing. Maybe it's all the rest of us and the media and social media who keep putting it on television that people who are mad go to schools and shoot people. Maybe that's where the kid learned it from. We send our thoughts and prayers, obviously, to the teacher and to her family and to those that love her and to all the students and faculty who were affected by the trauma of seeing it. But I'm actually more concerned about this six-year-old boy. It would be easy to punish him. But I think that somebody probably needs to apologize to him instead because he is the direct result of all the things we're not doing for our children. All right, let's do one more. Um, are you ready for this? This is good news. This has been a good news kind of show tonight, and I got some more for you. The United Nations announced that the ozone layer is slowly but noticeably healing and doing so at a pace that will allow it to fully mend the hole that is over Antarctica right now. And the United Nations says that that hole in the ozone layer could be uh, repaired, mended in 40 years. For those of you who don't know, the ozone layer is the thing in the atmosphere thing, very scientific. <laughs> it's the part of the atmosphere that protects us from ultraviolet rays, okay? And since the 1980s, scientists of which clearly I am not one, have been warning us about the hole in this shield that we have in the atmosphere. But now scientists are predicting that the ozone layer will recover for most of the planet by 2040 if current global policies pertaining to pollution and gases remain the same. And I think it's absolutely a great thing. And I'm trying to figure out, here's the thing that doesn't make sense, why isn't this the most important story in America right now? Why isn't this the most important story in the world? That the ozone layer that protects us from ultraviolet rays happens to be mending itself, healing. The planet is healing itself because we are following policies that, are, that happens to be allowing, rather, the planet to heal. We're so busy talking about George Santos and Joe Biden finding top secret papers in a closet next to his Corvette. <laughs> that we're not talking about 
the ozone layer, which is far more important than George Santos or Joe Biden. To which, let me say, does anybody believe that Joe Biden willfully stole some papers so that he could get some ill-gotten gains? No. But does anybody believe that Donald Trump stole some papers so that he could get some ill-gotten gains? Yes. But we're not talking about that right now. I'm just saying, the ozone story should be the biggest story in the world. The planet is healing itself. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Whatever, whatever praise language you got, we ought to be saying that. Because if the planet loses its protection against ultraviolet rays, and we all get cancer and end up dying, I promise you George Santos and Joe Biden's top secret papers that he shouldn't have had won't mean as much. You ain't gonna care about no top secret papers if you got cancer of the nose. <laughs> I don't want that for you. I'm just saying. The fact that the planet is healing itself should be getting a lot more attention. I think it's important. I think, I think we get so caught up in politics and the details of the day that we miss the big picture. That's what doesn't make sense. See, this applies to every area of, a li of your life. We get so lost in what somebody's done today that we forget how we feel about them overall. We lose sight of the big picture, the larger considerations. If this planet gets to be too hot to live on, politics won't matter. <laughs> oh, my friend, my friend, my friend. See, for every negative thing that happens in your life, there's also probably something good happening. Why don't you focus on that? I got one for you. The planet is healing itself. So for the rest of the night, instead of looking down, how about you look up? Thank you for tuning in tonight. I'm so glad we got to talk to Patrick Riley, and I'm so glad you tuned in. I want you to see that good things are still happening in the world. In spite of all the gossip and the craziness, goodness is still doing great things. You guys have a great rest of the night. Be good to each other, okay? And remember, I love you. Can't help it. <laughs>